AMU. American Military University is proud to present In Public Safety Matters. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Buster Nicholson. This show is dedicated to highlighting issues facing local communities from the perspective of those in local leadership positions. Today, my guest is Mercury Payton, Town Manager for Vienna, Virginia. Mercury, welcome and thank you for joining me. Well, thank you, Buster, for uh, having me with you. Absolutely. Just for the sake of full disclosure, I've known Merck for some time. I used to work in Virginia as a town administrator and a public works director. I appreciate him coming on and and speaking with me about his role in the town of Vienna. And Merck, could you tell me a little bit about why you decided to get into public service and and just how, what road took you there? Sure. Well, getting into public service was something that happened through a number of events. I I would say, first of all, growing up with, with parents who were very much into issues of fairness and, and equity and just, I guess, treating people with respect and having opportunities given to all people in society. And so I grew up with an idea or a thought of how I could make a difference in, in doing that. And, and so how I got on this path was through Hampton University after high school I uh, went to Hampton and, and majored in political science. And at that point, I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, my senior year, I had the opportunity to hear from Clarence Cuffey, who was at the time deputy city manager of Chesapeake, Virginia. And he talked about local government and all of the virtues of local government. And it sounded very interesting and sounded like something that I could get involved with and make a difference with a number of people. And so from there, I went to the University of Delaware and got my master's degree in public administration. And then from there, I got my first job in local government in the city of Suffolk, Virginia, as a senior administrative analyst in the city manager's office and worked there for three years and moved on from there to uh, Emporia, Virginia, as assistant city manager, and then to Manassas Park as deputy city manager, and then city manager, and then now here in Vienna, Virginia, been here for nine years as town manager. So that's kind of the path, you know, why I decided to get into public service again. I just wanted to make a difference in people's lives and be able to do something where I could see the difference that would be made with the work that I would do. Excellent. And with your parents, you said it was back in the 80s. Uh, your parents, they had a business? Yeah, we, I know we've had a lot of conversations over, over the years. And, and you know, my, my parents uh, started a, a shuttle service out of Prince William County that serviced Reagan National Airport and Dulles International Airport. And, you know, they, they found basically a, a niche where there was a need for service to be provided didn't exist at the at the time, and and both of my my parents, uh, their parents, my grandparents were entrepreneurs, and so they both kind of came from a background of of healthy risk taking and trying to hang up your own shingle, so to speak. And so this was something that they decided to do. And so I was ten years old, and 
was very young when they when they started the business, and 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 that's pretty much my background. I mean, I I grew up in an environment in which you had to work hard and you had to work in a way that was that would serve the public and serve serve the military. I mean, their large part of their clientele were Quantico Marines and FBI agents and drug enforcement agents and the other part of their, their clientele were federal employees from Washington, D.C. So just serving the public and having a high regard for the work that they do and, and getting them to and from the airport was something that was instilled in me as a, as a young man. Sure, sure. And, and you talked a little bit about, you know, development and we're all a product of our past. And so you, you're involved in a, a private sector world. How would you see that sort of background transitioning into a public sector where you you have a steady revenue stream from taxes, utility, but bringing that uh, that skill set, I think it is a bonus to a certain extent to public service. How, how does that help you when it comes to budgeting, when it comes to where to uh, develop a budget for operating expenses, uh, revenue, utility rates, and so forth? How does that experience transfer into that public aspect? Well, you're right. It does translate over to the public aspect. And, and the reason why it does, at least from my perspective, is that when I worked with my, my parents from 10 years old on up, my parents had my brother and I, you know, cleaning the inside of the vans, washing the vans, taking reservations on the phone, answering those calls, uh, dispatching at the airport, collecting money, doing all sorts of things, everything under the sun that you can imagine that would go into a an airport shuttle service. Uh, we did those things. And what it instilled in me was the the reality that, you know, someone someone chose to use our service. And they didn't have to choose to use our service. They could have probably driven to the airport if they wanted to. They probably could have called a cab. They could have done any number of things, but they chose to use my parents' service. And that was because they were able to provide something with a high quality of service and care where customers would come back and then word of mouth. And before we knew it, the business was extremely successful. And so that translates over to local government. If one has a view of local government that the taxpayer and the patron and the customer, that they're all bound to use your services, then the public service are going to take, take advantage of the resident and the patron and the customer. If we have the mindset that's more of a private sector mindset that the individual, the resident, has chosen to live in your community, They've chosen to move to Vienna. They've chosen to come to a festival in Vienna and spend money at a festival in Vienna. They've chosen to uh, look at things in a museum in Vienna. Whatever it may be, they have made a decision. They can move from Vienna if they don't want to be in Vienna, if they feel like their services are poor. And they don't have to come to a festival in Vienna if they feel like they've had a bad experience. So what it taught me as a young man was that we have to continually provide high-quality service in a way in which you would want someone to provide service to you. If we do that and if we're conscientious of that, then people will love 
where they live. They'll love being part of Vienna, and then they'll take ownership of that, and they will take a lot of pride in knowing that they are in a community that cares about them. And then it translates into other things when we talk about long-range budgeting, long-range planning. In the private sector, you have to be thinking about not just today, but you have to think about six months down the road, a year down the road. You have to think about paying employees. You have to think about paying your taxes. You have to be thinking about a multitude of aspects that make a private entity operate and function year in and year out. And so translating that over to the public sector, I put together here a long-range capital improvement plan that at this point goes to 2036. And when I put that together, there were some who were thinking that was really a long-range capital plan. But at the same time, you know, they got 90 years in, they've gotten used to this idea. And that is, if we plan for it, then we can always adjust because there'll be unforeseen things that would occur. But at the same time, if we don't plan, then the things that are really important may not ever get done because we may say we don't have the resources or the timing is wrong or whatever may occur. In the aspect of planning for what we need, uh, what we do is we put it on paper, we plan for it, we adjust if we need to, if things have things happen that we can't control, then we can adjust and put it off a year or two. But when we plan to do something that's wonderful for the community, what I found and and my coworkers have found is that 90% of the time when we plan to do something, it happens because we plan for it in a thoughtful way. So all of these things intersect with regard to private sector thinking, public sector thinking. We're talking about people. We're talking about serving people. We're talking about money and finances and budgeting and strategy. And if more people would think about the resident and patron and customer as someone who's making a choice in the community, we would do better as local government servants in treating our residents and customers and patrons extremely well if we think that tomorrow they could leave our community and go to another community if they don't receive the best service possible. So I think it absolutely translates to have a private sector background and to be able to integrate that within public service. Yes, and and that's a a very important point because treating the resident as a customer, you're thinking properly about that. You're thinking, I could lose that customer, so I've got to give be on my game. I've got to give the best. I've got to be tight on the budget and the planning is critical. And I think of a lot of a lot of the residents, they have their lives are going to work, coming home and not really focused a whole lot on what town office is actually doing. So could you delve a little bit further into planning, uh, even if you're going out to 2036? What are some of the things you're taking into consideration? I mean, transportation, events uh, and so forth. What is the focus of Vienna right now? If you could pick one or two Uh, issues that you're really lasered in on? We're lasered in on a number of things. I would say that right now, that's front and center is our new police station that we're beginning to build and construct. And uh, we've had a police station here that's been, I guess, around for maybe 20, 30 years. But immediately when it was built, it was already, it, it was not big enough. And not only that, but it was your old school, traditional police 
station that didn't necessarily have serving the community uh, in mind. So uh, what we have done is, and, and according to our long-range plan, we've been planning for this since about 2013 or 14. And so we have methodically looked at the needs of our community. And so we have integrated within the plans for this police station a community room where residents would come in and be able to actually utilize part of the police station in a way that is low-key and, and positive. And so it's not just a police station that you go to if you get arrested or if you want to make a complaint. It's also going to be a place where it's almost going to be a gathering place, actually. And we have a plaza space that's going to be on the outside that also can provide for a, a gathering space where we have fun runs and those kinds of things where people can come to the police station and know it as a positive place to go to. And if you really think about uh, what's happened in 2020 with a lot of the things that's been going on with regard to police officers and citizens of, of, our, of our nation, I think it's, it's actually been timely that we've been able to move forward with our uh, police station planning, knowing that we have a community aspect that's integrated within that. So that's been one thing that I would say that's a focus. We also always have a focus of improving our water and sewer infrastructure. As you know, uh, Buster, as a local government uh, leader yourself, that along this East Coast, um, all of us are dealing with water and sewer line replacement issues because um, if you just think about it, you know, the East Coast was probably one of the first ones that kind of got into the water and sewer line business. So that means that you're going to have those systems begin to deteriorate earlier than probably as you go out west. So so we've been dealing with that and we've been planning adequately to address that. And we have a good plan for that. And then we also have a plan in our long range planning for uh, serving our parks uh, system you know, we've just uh, built a new community center a couple of years back, and it's been highly used and well-received by the community and those outside of our community. And so uh, we're also looking at more park space to be able to have uh, gathering spaces for our, our residents. So we're very much into making and keeping Vienna a place where people want to gather and where they want to I guess, have raised their family and, and have a really good experience. Those are some of the things that we're, we're looking at as far as our, our long-range planning. Yes, and the, and the water and sewer, I wanted to touch on that for a minute because that is a huge piece of what a town uh, government does and is charged with responsibility for keeping uh, clean water and processing the sewage. But, you know, you can't get grants for that. You, you can't get... Uh, you got to take out loans, and and it's something that a lot of times is is easy to put off for uh, a future upgrade because it's working well now. But it is something that needs to be continuously folded into capital improvement plan. As far as your current ideas on that, or or growth, or uh, repair, or upgrades, what is the council's outlook, uh, the mayor's outlook on on the water and sewer, its current state and its future state? Well, our, our water and sewer uh, system is actually in a favorable uh, position right now. Our water quality is always high and, and is tested frequently. 
we know that there are some parts of our system that are older than other parts of our system. And so when we go going to do the water line replacements and sewer line replacements, we're replacing the oldest lines in the systems that are in deterioration of first. The ones where we have frequent breaks, we, we attend to those first. And so the way that we were able to, to do this is, you know, again, I, I referenced the like, 2036 uh, capital improvement plan, but I didn't really describe what it is. So uh, to describe what it is, what we do is every year in September, the budget committee, which consists of me and the director of finance and the director of public works, and then I have two directors that rotate in uh, each year to make sure that we have various members of our leadership team weighing in on the budget. So this year we have the planning and zoning director on for the second year of her two-year term. And then we have the economic development manager on for the first year of her two-year term, and they rotate in and out. And we put together the CIP based on all the requests from all the department directors and then ideas from council members regarding what is necessary for uh, capital projects. And so as we do that every year, every summer, and then we go to the council in September, and once we go to them in September, then they are able to uh, see what the plan is. Uh, council gives us feedback and adjusting, and then they approve that plan. Now, even though we go every year to the council, every other year is when we go out to bond uh, and borrow the money to pay for the projects. And we pay for the projects out of our mills tax so uh, and out of water and sewer rates. So when people go to shop in Vienna, so please go shop in Vienna, eat in Vienna. There are a lot of businesses and restaurants. Go shop in Vienna uh, because those dollars, the mills tax that comes out of there goes completely and 100 percent toward capital projects. So those uh, mills tax, they built the community center. Those mills tax pay for uh, road construction projects. Those mills tax are paying for the police station. And so that is how we, we plan. And then the water and sewer rates, they pay for the water and sewer lines. And so every other year, we go to the council and go out to bond for the necessary funding. And then we pay off the, the bond within 15 years, which is very aggressive, which has helped to get us get us a um, and, and maintain a AAA bond rating with the rating agency. So it's important for us to go to the council and express the needs. And then what we have found is that the council has been very receptive to the water sewer rates and us increasing the water and sewer rates every year to meet the needs of the water and sewer system. So uh, I know you asked a question about, you know, um, what is the council's response and what are their think what they're thinking about the water and sewer system. They know that we have to address the system, that we, we have to continually upgrade it. So that means that every two years, we are improving the water and sewer system. And we're going to be doing that for the foreseeable future. And if we do that in a, in a methodical and thoughtful way, then our system will never be in disrepair and we'll always be able to provide good service to our residents um, and end users. And that's a great position to be in, setting that meals tax aside to address those capital needs on uh, the water and sewer side. You know, that way you have funding uh, every other year to to do those projects because the system needs continuous upgrade. It does. It does. I mean, and, and it's something that people don't necessarily think too deeply about their water unless there's a problem. 
uh, like they do with most things with local government. And if they're not coming to town hall, that means it's normally a good thing. And, you know, unless we're having a holiday stroll or, or the mayor's you know, holiday reception or something like that, which is a good thing. Otherwise, you know, if it's quiet day in local government, that means it's a good day in local government. So we want to make sure that um, we're providing good service. And if people know that their water is safe to drink and they know that uh, they're paying good money for that, then it makes them feel good about that. And, and we make presentations to the residents. I know you mentioned earlier about residents uh, sometimes uh, just kind of going about their day and not really thinking too deeply about their local government. But we do have public hearings for our water and sewer rates anytime that we raise the rates. We do have uh, public meetings when we talk about the capital improvement plan. And then I've also started something new this year called On Deck with Mercury, which my leadership team actually, um, they came up with the name because I'm a big baseball fan. Um, I really didn't care what they called it, you know, but uh, they said On Deck with Mercury would be fitting. And basically what we do once a month is I take a topic and talk with an expert about uh, whatever the topic is and, and for the first hour and then the second hour open it up to residents who are able to have a back and forth dialogue with me and the expert on that topic or any other topic that residents want to talk about. And the, the, the purpose of that at first was to go out to residents in the community and to uh, be able to be among people. Uh, I think the first well, one was supposed to be at a local coffee shop and, you know, no cameras, no mics, just always see me in a suit. So they said, Mercury, you got to be in a and a sweater or a polo. So that's what I, that was the plan. And then COVID-19 happened. I think the first one was supposed to be in March. And when COVID-19 happened to our, our nation, that changed that focus. I think our first one was supposed to be on I-66 uh, repairs. And we quickly changed that from that to having the Fairfax County epidemiologists and sit in with me and have a discussion. And it wasn't in the community. It had to be on mic recorded um, for residents to see and hear uh, about that. So so we do go to the residents. I think one of our most recent On Deck with Mercury's was on the capital improvement plan itself. And we talked about all the projects that we have. We talked about the police station construction project and another On Deck with Mercury. So residents do have an opportunity to hear what we're planning on doing and to give feedback to us and have an open dialogue uh, with me and with um, subject matter experts about what we're about to do. Yeah, it sounds great. And it is important to keep those lines of communication open with the public. Well, Mark, we've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back to resume our conversation. At American Public University, we believe that everyone should have access to a great education. It's not a privilege reserved for the few. And we believe higher education must come with lower tuition. Because when more doors open, more lives change. American Public University, within reach, without limits. Online classes start every month. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. Okay, we're speaking with Mercury Payton, Town Manager for Vienna, Virginia. And thank you again, Merck, for being with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to switch gears a little bit and just talk about more generalities you know, there are um, transcendental truths that exist, and one being, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So tell me a little bit about the things you treasure in life. Well, I, you know, the things that I treasure in life 
are, in my estimation, things that are life-giving and things that are good for for everyone. And, and so, you know, I think that it's important that I remember that I've been given the gift of life and I've been, you know, given many opportunities. So, you know, to think about just what makes me who I am is the fact that I, I am a man of faith. And so because of my faith and who I believe in and, you know, which is personal to me, it forces me and it causes me to constantly look introspectively at myself and to evaluate myself based on my faith. The, the tenets of the faith that I ascribe to, it, it basically, none of us are perfect. And, and because of that fact, I am able to understand my own shortcomings, you know, and, and failings. And I'm able to, to cast those failings and, and shortcomings you know, on the, on the one who takes that on for me. So I think that because of that, it allows me to deal with life in a way that is free from, from burdens and free from typical difficulties that can weigh us all down. I mean, this has been, this has been a difficult year personally for actually difficult 18 months for me. I mean, my, you know, my dad, uh, you know, passed away on, uh, on Easter 2019 and, you know, my mother has uh, stage four uh, LMS cancer um, that she's been battling for two years. And these are things that all of humanity has been dealing with and is dealing with. There are a number of ways that we can, you know, we can look at those kinds of, of challenges and difficulties. And with my faith, it, it allows me to, to express my concerns and my thoughts about the difficulties of life in a way that ultimately points back to uh, giving glory to the one who lived for me and and who uh, sustains me. So that is who I am. I mean, and so, of course, everyone has a different mindset and thought about, you know, what helps and energizes them. And, and, and that was, that's what makes our nation, I think, a wonderful place is that people can have, you know, different vantage points with regard to we know what encourages them, but I, I would I will say that anyone who knows me knows that I serve a great God, you know, and that's just the, the reality. And you know, my wife and we have you know we have eight children, and we live a simple life, as simple as a life can be, with with ten people in the home. And my my faith is critical to who I am. You know, you and I have talked before, and I know you're you're close to your mother. Tell me about how she inspires you. She inspires me in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, she's the one who, you know, she taught me to pray. She taught me to write. She taught me to read. You know, she was a woman who owned her own business with my with my dad. My mom and dad together owned a business. You know, she was someone who was hardworking and diligent um, growing up. That's what I saw. I saw my mom and dad in the home. She was... The one who always encouraged me. I remember, and this is a small thing, but I remember, you know, um, playing baseball and and I was having a, a pretty good year. And and she she told me that if I could see myself hitting a home run over the fence, I could do it. She said, "You can do it." She could see ability in me that I didn't see in myself, and she would always see that. She would always see the ability that that was within me that God had given me that, um, 
that I that I didn't necessarily know that I that I contained. You know, so every step of the way, every every time there was a challenge, you know, she's been there to pray for me and, and to pray with me and and you know, she's had a a hard life. I mean, I, you know, make no mistake about it, you know, to be uh, you know, a black woman, you know, who basically grew up in the fifties, you know. Um there was a lot of transition and change there, and there were a lot of hard times, a lot of difficult experiences that she and my dad both had. You know, she told me last week that one of the reasons why they moved from Alexandria to Prince William County was because of redlining, and they were not afforded the opportunity to buy the better homes in Alexandria, so they moved to Prince William County. Your your parents and your grandparents tell you this, say, yeah, I heard that story before I heard it, I heard it. You know, the same story over and over. But then every once in a while, they'll tell you something like, I didn't hear that before. I didn't know about that. And that was one of those moments last week when she was telling me about, you know, the redlining. I was like, I've never heard you and that even mention redlining. And, you know, it's just one of those things where the experiences that some people have, you know, they don't have to tell you every experience that they've had. Um, When you see the life they live, in my mom's case, you know, even to this moment, uh, with uh, stage four cancer, to see her faith, to see her, the hope that she has every day, and and then to know that even after this life, she has a hope. I'm inspired by her every single day. Yes, and there it is a great blessing to have uh, a good relationship with your parents. And, you know, my parents were in just this past weekend, and it was just wonderful to see them, and I never take that for granted. Yeah, you have to take each moment that you have and an example of that is my dad and I, we would get together for lunch once a month. We did it for years. And the last time we had lunch together was two weeks before he died. And he died suddenly, unexpectedly, didn't have any health issues that we knew of that would bring about him dying so quickly. And we had lunch together and we talked about all the things that we normally would talk about and we spent time together. And it was it was a good time that I had with my dad and who, you know, who would have ever thought that two weeks later, you know, that he wouldn't be with us. So you're right. I mean, we have to capture these moments and and remember what's most important. Uh, even in 2020, when we, you know, see so much difficulty around us and so much to kind of, if we really wanted to, we could focus on a lot of negatives, but there's a lot of good in 2020. And we need to capture those, that good, and we need to capture those moments, and and remember that we're that we're blessed more than we, we realize. Yeah, and that, that's a great outlook, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to interview you, Mark, because uh, <laughs> you have a great outlook on on life, and I appreciate that. Well, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to wrap it up, and uh, if you could just tell me a little bit about the Vienna Holiday Guide. Yes, so the Vienna Holiday Guide is something that the Vienna Business Association puts out. And if anyone goes to their website, www.viennabusiness.org, you go to that website, it's the Vienna Business Association website. Then one of the the tabs there at the top, it says Vienna Holiday Guide. And when you go there, you'll see a number of businesses that we have in Vienna. And those businesses um, have events or special things that are going on all throughout this this holiday season. So I would encourage anyone who's um, going to be listening to this to go to the Vienna Business Association website and take a look at the Vienna Holiday Guide and and certainly come to some of our stores and, and shop in Vienna, particularly in this time when 
not only are we in a in a medical pandemic, we're in an economic pandemic. You know, and so in as much as this is an economic pandemic, we need to support local businesses as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. Well, Mark, thank you for sharing your expertise and your uh, perspective on the issues. And I really appreciate you uh, joining me today. Sure, absolutely. I'm a just a regular guy, and um, I just appreciate you taking interest in me and 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 have me uh, with you today. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. And I hope everyone has a great day. For more information about our university, visit us at amuonline.com. Thank you for listening. AMU, American Military University.